I'm Allison. And I'm Alyssa. And this is Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker, where we reread the books we first read as kids and teens, again now with our adult perspectives. And sometimes with the help of that glorious adult juice we call liquor. First, we want to acknowledge the lands on which we are recording our podcast today. I'm currently recording on the unceded territories of the Coquitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Katsi, Musqueam, Squamish, Kakite, and Stolo First Nations. And I am currently recording on the lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. And I acknowledge that the land I am on is covered by Treaty 13, signed by the Mississaugas of the Credits, and the Williams Treaty signed with the multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. Today, we will be discussing The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. So The Wonderful Wizard of Oz is technically a series of books, but today we will be focusing solely on the book titled The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, or The Wizard of Oz, uh, due to its popularity over the others and the fact like I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head what the other books are called. Nope. <laughs> so we're just going to talk, talk about this one. Okay, so we'll give you guys a little quick synopsis. One day, Dorothy and her dog Toto find themselves caught up in a tornado that picks up their house and drops them in a very strange new land. Upon arrival, the Witch of the North informs her that her house has crushed the Wicked Witch of the East, and she has freed the munchkins who live in the land of her tyrannical rule. Dorothy immediately wants to find her way back to Kansas, and the Good Witch sends her along the Yellow Brick Road to the Emerald City to ask the wonderful Wizard of Oz for help. Dorothy sets out on her journey, taking the Wicked Witch of the East's silver shoes with her. On her journey, she meets a talking scarecrow who joins her and asks the wizard for a brain, as well as a man made out of tin who joins to ask for a heart, and a lion who desires courage. The quartet overcome many obstacles on their journey, but finally find their way to the Emerald City. They each are given a private audience with the wizard, and he appears to each of them in a different form and orders them to kill the Wicked Witch of the West before he grants their requests. The quartet set out to the west, fighting against the attacks the Wicked Witch of the West makes on them. Eventually, the witch sends flying monkeys to bring Dorothy and her friend to her castle. On arrival, the witch sees Dorothy is wearing the silver slippers and attempts to trick her into taking them off, knowing what power they possess. In trying to protect herself, Dorothy throws a bucket of water at the witch, accidentally melting her. The Winkies are grateful to Dorothy for saving them from the Wicked Witch and assist her in finding the Lion, the Scarecrow, and the Tin Man, and they all set out back to Emerald City and tell the Wizard of Oz the great news. But discover the wonderful Wizard of Oz is not a wizard after all. He is just an ordinary man using optical illusions and tricks. But he keeps his word and gives the Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Lion what they wished for. He decides to take Dorothy back to Kansas using a hot air balloon, the same way he came to Oz. But the balloon takes off before Dorothy can get in and he leaves without her. She sets out to meet the good witch of the south, Glinda, and ask for help. They meet more mysterious creatures on the way, but when they find Glinda, she informs them that the silver slippers Dorothy has been wearing have the power to take her home. She bids farewell to her friends, who all return to different lands they came across on their adventures to rule. Dorothy clicks her heels three times and is transported back home. And it was all a dream. Just it's kidding. No, no that's only in the movie. Home. Yeah. Yeah, in the book. It's a little more open-ended. Yeah. We'll get there. Okay, uh, so, so... what are you drinking today, Alyssa? Well, I was going to do a themed drink, but then there was just no time. So the drink I had in my fridge was a sparkling Zinfandel. So I'm, nice. I'm just drinking, yeah, like a, a champagne-y type rosé today um, because that feels... I'm just going to call it the Glinda special because it's no, pink yeah, and bubbly, it's, okay? Yeah, there you go. There, yeah. I justified my choices. Yeah, it's very movie Glinda. So yes. there you go. 
Yeah. What are you drinking? Okay, so I know I have had a beer from Flying Monkeys Brewery, like, several times in this podcast, but it's finally completely appropriate (laughs) because Flying Monkeys, and I probably should say I'm not sponsored by this brewery, but if anyone out there has any kind of affiliation wants to sponsor me, I, like, I will take that offer. You've already been doing the good work, spreading the word. I've already had it, like, three, four times in this podcast, Um, but I'm having the juicy-ass IPA. I don't know if I've had that yet on this podcast, and it's one of my favorite IPAs of all time, so... Oh, um, and it's finally flying monkeys. It finally perfectly fits. So I had to do it. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So what was your first experience with this book and with the movie? I was raised on The Wizard of Oz. Like I, my love for Wizard of Oz definitely comes from the movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. Like mm-hmm. I still say to this day, it's my favorite movie. My favorite Christmas gift I ever got was my grandmother once hand sewed me ruby slippers. Oh my gosh. Uh, they were like destroyed within the week, but like the best gift I ever had. I never took them off. And I actually did the musical uh, version a few years ago, and I was very lucky to play the iconic role of tree number two. (laughs) It was a great time. Uh, So there's a lot of nostalgia and meaning surrounding the story for me. Uh, So The Wizard of Oz in general, like, I would give it a 15 out of 10. That's how much I love The Wizard of Oz. Uh, But the book in particular, I think I read when I was, like, maybe between the ages of 8 to 10. I would have given, like, an 8 out of 10. Uh, it's still good, but um, it's one of the very, very rare cases where I like the movie better than the book. Yeah. It feels bad, weird to say. It feels it wrong to say it, yeah. but it's true. The movie is better than the book. No, I, I totally agree, and I can only think of one other instance where that is true. Um, you that's know what I mean. <laughs> but that's... Uh, t- I'm talking about Twilight. Oh. The iconic <laughs> soundtrack. Known. The social oh. satire. The acting, the looks, the makeup, it's all iconic. <laughs> I think we've mentioned there will be a Twilight episode one day. Don't worry, one folks. Okay. It's coming. Um, that's an aside. Yeah. Okay. So my first experience with The Wizard of Oz was also the movie. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily give it a 15 out of 10, <laughs> but <laughs> I did enjoy it very thoroughly. And I'm sure I watched it with you many, many times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I read The Wonderful Wizard of Oz when I was like in late elementary school or early high school, maybe. And I really enjoyed it. But like, as you said, this does seem to be one of those very rare moments where the movie is so iconic that it just completely overshadows the book. So Mm -hmm. I probably would have rated it at the time. Yeah, maybe like an eight out of 10, I think. Yeah, like it's a good book. There's, um, I guess we're about to get into the writing. Yeah. So like, I... Like, it is a children's book, so the writing's, like, very straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, the themes are very clear. It's very much laid out for the reader to pick everything up on. It's a children's book, obviously. But I actually found it quite funny, though. Like, this sort of tongue-in-cheek humor with the irony surrounding all the characters' desires and yeah. um, the Scarecrow's physical comedy. Like, I actually laughed out loud the scene where they go to the Emerald City and they go into their, like, hotel rooms. And uh, obviously, like, Scarecrow and Tin Man don't sleep so like, yeah the scarecrow just stood in the room not yeah. doing anything the whole night because it was just like okay that's just full a edward oh i was <laughs> sorry we're bringing it full circle that's very edward <laughs> i'm gonna keep a tally of how many times you bring up twilight today you know it's just i was uh, i long. was in the memes last night really late last oh, night yeah i, I just, woke up to a bunch of twilight just memes. discovered good though this collection of memes and they were all so good and i was literally laughing out loud like really loudly <laughs> 
They were funny. Yeah, you sent me a few. Very good. Uh, anyway, okay. Yes. Back um, to Wizard of Oz. Yep. <laughs> no, I, th- I do think you're totally right. It is clearly intended for children and written as such, but there are some nuances that are really meant for a more mature reader to pick up on, I think. Like the hypocrisy and the general dickishness of a bunch of the adults is not something that I necessarily would have picked up on as a kid. But mm-hmm. it's, I think, the- these moments are sort of put there for the adults who are reading to be like, oh, interesting, this is this feels like a commentary on something. Yeah. And I definitely noticed that more on this read-through. And like most children's books, this one employs like an absurd amount of repetition, which <laughs> also, I guess, helps to build the iconic atmosphere and the jargon and the that we see in the movie with the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and the there's no place like home, which are repeated quite a lot. And uh, um, the song, We're Off to See the Wizard, yeah, is sung. some of the ushers, when I did the show, they were like, I hated ushering Wizard of Oz because we just had to listen to that song a million times a day. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And it, it is interesting that both of those instances are repetition in the movie and not the book. But the book mm-hmm. also does something very similar because every time the characters are introduced to like a new character, they all say what their desire is. And they say it in, like, a very similar way each time. So, basically, the reader is getting, like, slapped across the face with the moral, which is, you know, about uh, brains and heart and courage and home. <laughs> so I never guessed that was the moral of the story. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm shocked. Uh, so, in case you needed to be told the moral, that's uh, it has to do with those <laughs> things. <laughs> we figured it out for you. There You're you welcome. It was, yeah, it was very subtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this one is an interesting one. I think it was similar with Pride and Prejudice, where there's not many references Mm -hmm. of other literary works in it, but because it's so iconic, it's referenced in other literary works. Um, Like, it's so iconic and uh, deeply ingrained in American and Canadian culture. Like, there's so many references outside of this work referencing Wizard of Oz. And a big one my brain kept jumping to was Wicked, Obviously, yes. um, I'm not sure if I knew about the musical when I first read this book. I don't. I I think it would have been out, but I don't think I knew about it. Um, but I've since read the book Wicked by mm-hmm. Gregory Maguire that the musical is based off of. So the musical is more based off of the movie, whereas uh, Maguire's book is more based off of the book. Yeah, and so it is an interesting like translation yeah. to translation. Mm-hmm, yeah, so, like, the scene where the Wicked Witch is sending all, like, the wolves and the bees and stuff against, uh, to attack Dorothy and her friends, like, mm-hmm. uh, you go more in-depth with the witch in McGuire's book about, like, what her thinking is and what's going on there. Right. Um, and you see, obviously, the whole book played out in her perspective. Um, but, yeah, so it was kind of fun to reread the book uh, after having read Wicked. It was a really fun... yeah like experience (laughs) yeah like absolutely as soon as i finished the book i got my laptop open i queued up youtube and i watched every single song from the broadway production in order (laughs) and i was up until like three but it was worth it because Mm -hmm. you you can't help it it's so iconic so (laughs) right yeah yeah and i mean along similar lines there are a lot of subsequent novels that seem to draw their inspiration from the wizard of oz at least in part, uh, and I was getting big Narnia vibes when Dorothy was just, mm-hmm. like, all of a sudden whisked off to Oz, like, in the first chapter of the book. Yeah. 
Um, but because C.S. Lewis wrote the series later, like after The Wizard of Oz came out, I think he was definitely drawing a bit of inspiration from The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I definitely think those books of like the ordinary kid is mm-hmm. whisked off to this magical land. I think Wizard of Oz is definitely a big inspiration. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like the deep root of that story. Yeah. yeah. And I was just thinking right now that even like, I guess you can sort of trace the history of these uh, literary traditions back. And um, Alice in Wonderland was published like 40 or 50 years before The Wizard of Oz. Oh, and okay. and yeah, I think you can see that influence a lot as well. Mm-hmm, definitely, yeah. So it is interesting. Yeah, to, they're very similar. Yeah, yeah, to see that trajectory, I guess, through mm-hmm. the fantasy genre over a period of like 100 years. Right, yeah. But they're all playing with really similar ideas. Mm-hmm. And, okay, this is this is the whole thing. So <laughs> I also had the thought, um, I was comparing it. I mean, if you're comparing it to C.S. Lewis, then you have to also compare it to Tolkien. So these are some thoughts that Naturally. I had. Are the hobbits just munchkins, first of all? Continue with that thought. Tell me more. Okay, so, I mean, they're in, like, this idyllic landscape. They're described as, like, very short little people. Uh, They are sort of out of the the politics of most of the world and very isolated. They don't know much about what's going on, but they're content to just be there. Mm -hmm. And none of the munchkins seem to leave. Interesting. uh, then, I mean, there's the whole, like, talking, or not talking, but, like, alive trees, mm-hmm. which we've seen so much in literature, especially for yeah. kids. Um, and then, okay, there's the whole, like, Dorothy is essentially transporting a magical item that she doesn't know the full extent of the power of across um, across the, oh, yeah. the continent on, like, a journey. And she's True. trusting in the power of a wizard that she then becomes disillusioned with because she realizes he's a dick. And then she ends up destroying the villain and going home. So uh, she's going on a journey with a gang of ragtag gang of friends, one might call a fellowship. You know, one might say, <laughs> <laughs> need I say more? There's, oh, there's a little bit of this influence going on, I think. So. I love it. You know, I was I was noticing a bit of that as well. Yeah. Which is which is great. I love I love even if this isn't true, the thought that Tolkien was like, The Wizard of Oz seems legit. I'm gonna make that for adults. So <laughs> gonna make a grown up version. Yeah, exactly. With mostly male characters. <laughs> All male characters doing straight boy things. Yep. Yes. Um Okay, and also this is this is less substantiated, but stick with me here. C three PO? Is he is he a modern take on the Tin Man? You know, he's kind of just like this wet blanket yeah. automaton figure. He's just metal. He's just following the main character around, not doing anything super productive, but he's there. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I, like, I can't disagree with you. I thing. mean, there's. I don't have a lot of evidence to support this, but... That's fair. The but fact- I don't have anything to argue against it. Exactly. So. So, yeah. <laughs> we remain in the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. Yeah. And then one last note on like literature and influence but uh when the members of the quartet tell their stories to each other when they're going on this journey it was very mm-hmm. canterbury tales to me yeah we're getting like these stories within stories while they're on a pilgrimage going to like a new land to see an important political figure and i think that Elfric Baum was very much drawing from this literary tradition i mean we see mm-hmm. the the ideas and the sort of template of the canterbury tales being uh, used by so many authors um, for like the 
thousand years after um mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah we like that yeah just a little chaucer in your everyday life <laughs> because who doesn't only love you old could English? find all of these connections and references <laughs> you know i like to i like to give people the image that if you saw inside my brain it would be like uh when detectives in like uh, cop dramas are solving mm-hmm. a murder and they have like pictures and sticky notes on a wall with string attaching shit <laughs> and it doesn't really make sense except to the person who puts it up and i feel like Fair. that's the inside of my brain <laughs> yeah that that checks out yeah so these these are the connections of drawing they're built on very tenuous strings of yarn <laughs> that could unravel at any moment <laughs> it's a very weak lead yeah exactly All right, so um, each of the four main characters represent a quality that is found in a well-rounded person. There's intelligence, kindness, bravery, family, slash home-ness, I don't know. Couldn't figure out how to put that in a cohesive word. And and the irony is that all of them, obviously, they each already possess those attributes. Yes, of course. Attributes they seek out. They just don't realize it. But that's, like, very obvious. It's very much laid out for the young readers. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the scarecrow wants a brain, but he already possesses curiosity and introspectiveness. Is that, wow, me just making up words today. I love it. <laughs> um, is introspectiveness a word? Um, Yeah, introspective is a word, so why not? Why the hell right? not? I say it is. So, yeah, and that's how I agree. Works, right? We made all the words up anyways. Yeah, they mean nothing. It's just sounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, he already has curiosity and uh sense of introspectiveness well i tried to make it work no uh (laughs) that you need to obtain knowledge and the tin man wants a heart but he already possesses empathy which is exactly what having a heart is all about and the lion wants courage but if you aren't scared of anything you have no need for courage Mm -hmm. and dorothy is feeling homesick and my therapist actually said this to me a few weeks ago is that um the sense of homesickness just means you have something lovely to return to i love that yeah yeah, she said that. I was like, ooh, thank you. I need to hear that. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and so what actually really interested me this time was the wizard himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously always focused on Dorothy because we love it. We love Dorothy. Naturally. But um, I was really interested by the wizard. I also just finished reading Barack Obama's A Promised Land. Mm-hmm. So my brain's just very much in a political place right now. Um, and it's uh, the book is his account as, of his time as president. So, um, uh, and so the wizard is definitely, it seems like a commentary on politicians that don't yeah. actually have the special skills that or they claim to have, like can't do the things that they're claiming to do. They just have are charismatic and create a sort of illusion that they can fix things and solve problems. Mm -hmm. So he gives like the scarecrow Bran and the Tin Man like a sawdust heart and gives uh, the lion like a drink. And it's like, oh, when you drink it, it's courage. Also, side note, did the wizard just give the lion alcohol? I mean, yes, I think he did. It's called liquid courage for a reason. (laughs) Yeah. I read that. I was like, wait, did you just give him a shot or I'm something? I'm pretty sure, yes. I think that's what happened. It's He's just, like, it's it, not courage until it's in you. Yeah, it was green, right? It's probably just like melon liqueur or something. Right? <laughs> that's what I should have had for the trope shot. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Anyways, um, so he doesn't like really solve the problems, but he just does something to make them think that he did and kind of like make them realize they had the power in them all along it was in you all along yeah. <laughs> wow and uh all the citizens of oz are like so quick to 
believe him without question. It's a sort of blind patriotism and loyalty to him. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, commentary with the wizard this time. Yeah, I really love the idea that Oz is like a commentary on politics. And I also think that there's a bit of a religious commentary going on as well that sort of uh, enmeshes with that really neatly Mm -hmm. because Oz seems to sort of stand in for God in the book and no one is allowed to see him. He's portrayed as all powerful. They sort of Mm -hmm. just have to act in faith and do what he says and hope that it's the right thing to do. And the fact that he turns out to be a charlatan and his whole situation is like a big hoax it, it sort of then feels like a negative commentary on religion or at the very least like a commentary on being critical of religious leaders who are in power and questioning mm-hmm. their authority and their motives. Yeah. Which interesting is interesting to think about in a book that was published, I think, in 1900. It was 1900, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean of course, people have been critiquing religion since religion, but it, yeah. it was just interesting that that sort of read as one of the adult morals of the book for me. Yeah, interesting. Very, yeah, like really in line with the politicians. I think it's it's all about being critical of leaders and of people who are uh, in authority. Yeah, taking everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, and, and I think I think that is a good yeah. moral to teach to kids in a kid's book if they can p- oh, yeah, pick up on it. I mean, yeah, when I read sure. it, I was just like, wow, Oz is such a jerk. Uh, but I didn't think too deeply about it. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I do... I need to talk about the good witch, and I'm saying good uh, to imply that there's quotation marks around it. (laughs) She presents herself as good, and the munchkins seem to think that she's good, but she literally sends a child off on her own with no instructions to essentially do her dirty work for her uh, Mm -hmm. because she can't kill the wicked witch herself, and Dorothy accidentally killed her. Uh, and also she knows that Dorothy wants to go home. She said so, but she doesn't tell her how, even though she literally has the power to do it. Well, in so in the book, these are different people. The first person she meets is the Witch of the North. It's not Glinda. And the Witch of the South is oh, Glinda at the end. So that's okay. a movie thing that they combine okay. them into one person, which makes her so much more of a dick. Of I... being like, you had the power all along. She's like, there's a really good, uh, I think it's Mad TV sketch. Of uh, that scene of her being like, you had the power all along. She's like, are you kidding me? I went on that whole journey for you to tell me I could have done it the second I got here. Yeah. It's a very funny skit. Um, yeah, so they are actually different people. So okay. she becomes a lot less dickish. I mean, yes, but And like also... maybe she did not know. Yeah, but... I mean, it is the she, question like what she knew sending this girl on this journey. Yeah, and, and she, what power she does have. Yeah, she she did send her into like a sketchy wilderness yeah. on her own as a small girl. Yeah. Just walk through the forest for an unknown amount of time, probably multiple days by yourself to go see this mm-hmm. sketchy guy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm still ticked off. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, and like where? Okay, then where was Glinda during all of this bullshit? She must have known it was happening. You know. Right, yeah. Come on. I, so I, I have this note later on in our docs, but I feel like it fits in the conversation we're having now of like being skeptical of uh, what you hear and see. And so mm-hmm. like when I first read, heard about the story of Wicked, like the retelling of the Wizard of Oz, but in the perspective of the Wicked Witch, maybe she wasn't actually like that wicked. Um, I, Like I thought it was just like a fun idea. Yeah. And I feel like Wicked inspired a lot of movies like Maleficent and the Joker mm-hmm, and Cruella. Mm-hmm. This kind of like uh, taking a look at the other side of the story. But this time reading it through, I thought of how perfect that idea of questioning 
the witch's wickedness. Yeah. Uh, it fits so perfectly with this theme we're talking about of like uh, being critical of uh, the people in power and politicians and like of the good witch, the first person she meets, she just trusts mm-hmm. and is like, yeah, sure, I will follow this road all by myself. This will yeah. turn out fine. Um, you seem nice, so I will trust you. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, because, like, in the musical, like, uh, Glinda's, like, not actually that good of a person. Like, mm-hmm. she's kind of all about her appearance and uh, how she's perceived and being popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> One of the most iconic songs of our generation. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, yeah, and, like, even though a wizard, like, it's all an illusion, like, but everyone blindly believes it. Like, even the Emerald City is not actually made up of emerald. He literally makes people wear tinted glasses yes. that manipulate the, what they see. Oh, like, my God. I have so many literally. thoughts on this that I'm going to save for the end because we don't okay. need we don't need a whole conspiracy thing in the middle. That's an end type thing. That's <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, and so I feel like I've been finding this theme a lot mm-hmm. in the things we're looking at, which I didn't expect. Like, uh, kind of this critical thinking. Or not believing yeah. what you see. Like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, we have an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte's Web, uh, Charlotte's literally like, I'm tricking the humans mm-hmm. into thinking like this is a magnificent or not ordinary pig. Um, and I think it's a really important theme that yeah, I feel like totally a lot of us is. forget as we grow older to mm-hmm. like not just believe the first thing we hear or see, especially in a world where we have so much information at our disposal, both true and false information. And, like, we live in such a divided political climate in North America, both Canada and the United States. Yeah. Like, you have to be careful with the information you're being fed. And I realize this would make me sound like an anti-vax Karen, but, like, (laughs) I'm talking to you, anti-vax Karens. I'm talking to everyone. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I totally agree. It is honestly a little bit surprising that these books are telling kids to question authority but I think it is such an important lesson even though when I read all of these books as a kid I didn't pick up on that explicitly right but I'm sure on a subconscious level it was maybe registering a little bit because you are becoming disillusioned with these authority figures like uh the first time I saw the wizard of Oz and the wizard was just behind the curtain I was so upset I was like, what the hell? <laughs> this was the point of the movie. I wish she was going to see him. And now yeah. he's just a man. I'm so disappointed. So, I mean, I guess on, on like a subconscious level, stuff like that does register with kids. And mm-hmm. uh, when they're older, maybe they start making those connections, which is, which is so mm-hmm. great. Because, I mean, I think one of the best things that we can do for our kids is just encourage them to be critical of information yeah, and authority. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Also, another thing that I'm mad at is the wizard asking Dorothy to kill the Wicked Witch. She's like an eight, nine, ten-year-old girl or something, right? I know, yeah. We forget because in the movie... uh, She's older. Judy Garland was about 16, I think, think, by the time they finally got around to filming it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It took them years to film it, though, so she was on board with the movie at, like, 12. But in the book, she's, like, a nine-year-old girl. Yeah. Like, they almost cast Shirley Temple in the role when she was really (laughs) little. Like, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so crazy. And, like, adults in books telling kids to kill people it needs to stop and i'm looking at you c.s lewis i'm looking at you <laughs> but jk rolling as well yeah exactly this applies to so many there's so many of you so we are looking books. at and i mean dorothy's kill count by the end of the novel is two that's pretty high for a little girl in a fantasy novel <laughs> 
My favorite synopsis of the movie I have ever read was um, uh, it's something like a girl gets transported to a magical land where she kills the first person she meets on site and then teams up with a bunch of strangers to make her next kill. And you're like, but it's not wrong. It's not That's- wrong. I fully agree. <laughs> That yeah, that is kind of what like this time through. I was like, I think she's the only person we see who actually kills somebody else. Yeah, and she does it twice, and yeah. it's not made out to be a big deal. Like she doesn't have it was an accident moral quandaries about going off to kill the wicked witch. She's just like, oh, I'm a little girl. Maybe I can't. But she never is like, maybe I shouldn't. You know? Yeah. She says, I want to go home, so I'm gonna go kill somebody to make it happen. And I mean, oh, we just said this book is so good for teaching kids critical thinking, but then this happens and I'm like, okay, okay. But again, yeah, that's why I think Wicked is so smart because yeah. then it stops to think like, hey, maybe the Wicked Witch wasn't that wicked after all. And maybe yeah, Dorothy exactly. was in the wrong. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the reason she has a vendetta against Dorothy is because she killed her sister. I mean, I would be pissed. And then stole her nice shoes. Like, yeah. I would also want those shoes. Oh my God, I just took a very painful swallow of beer. I'm Take a I'm sip dying. of I'm water. Fine. I'm good. Okay, it's good. It went down. We're good. Okay, don't die, please. Uh, one, one last thought in this vein, but uh, <laughs> this is random, but the scene where the Cowardly Lion first appears, I guess just because I've had C.S. Lewis on the brain, I literally was like, <laughs> Aslan, is that you? Aslan. Like, that was my only thought. I was like, oh, Aslan, hey. Aslan's here. We're good. We're fine. Everything's it's, fine. Yeah. So, anyway, I just, I thought that was funny that now whenever I read about a lion, I'm like, Aslan? <laughs> there yeah yeah so i mean even though that was written after but yeah oh yeah but still yeah yeah (laughs) okay so i think there are also some really interesting social commentaries that are being Mm -hmm. made in this book and one of them that's really clear to me that i absolutely would not have picked up on as a kid is the infamous poppy scene which has a very 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 different meaning for me this time through it could totally be read as a commentary on opium use oh yeah and at the time that this novel came out in 1900 opium was still being used legally and medicinally as well as Mm -hmm. recreationally and i mean i guess it still is now in a way yeah but um according to my very minimal research so i'm sorry if i am wrong but it seems to have been very controversial at this time and there Mm -hmm. were a lot of people who were concerned about the effects of opium, which, as we know, is derived from poppies. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And so the scene shows Dorothy, the lion, and Toto, because they're, like, the alive ones. uh, Yeah. Or the flesh and blood ones, uh, succumbing Mm -hmm. to the effects of the flowers and, like, falling into this deep, deep sleep that they will theoretically never get out of. And that is pretty dark, but also very clearly alludes to the dangers of these drugs. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And I just, I did not pick up on that as a kid. I had no idea. And this time reading it, I was like, well, that's opium. So Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I did not think about that because I was just busy thinking about having to play a poppy in the musical <laughs> and just like sitting on the ground for so long and then having to like hunch over when we, like when the snow fell to be like, oh no, snow. Oh my and gosh. I like remember, so I, at one point my knee was just like killing me during that production and uh, I like couldn't figure out what I did to it. I was trying, and then like that night at the show, we went to that point uh, part, and I sat down, and the position was like, "Ooh, it was, it's this, it's killing my knee," because we were oh. there for so long. So my, I was busy remembering that. I did not pick up on this. Uh, yeah, 
But this, yeah, underlining uh, drug use. What message. a commentary to throw into a kid's book! Like opium, bad. Killing witches, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't do drugs. Kill witches, though. That's exactly. Fine. Uh, but I mean, I also based on my very like minimal research, I did see uh, that. Uh, L. Frank Baum supposedly did also write, like, a newspaper article at some point before The Wizard of Oz came out about, like, basically just condemning opium use in society. Oh, So it was it was definitely something that was on his mind uh, as well as yeah, on that, like, society's yeah, mind at the time. Out. Yeah, so it totally checks out and makes a lot of sense. But, again, this is not something I picked up on as a child. Right? Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, I didn't even pick up on it until you said it. Yeah, it was just – I was like, oh, that's what this is. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. I didn't. Right. I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um. All right. So you know what time it is, folks. It's time for a feminist rant. Feminist so, rant. So there's one point in the book where, on their way to find Glinda, the Witch of the South, they come across this these like living doll kind of people. They're like made out of china or something. Mm-hmm. And so um, Dorothy's like following one and kind of chasing her. And the doll asks Dorothy to stop chasing her because she doesn't want to break. And even though, like, she could be put back together, but she won't be as pretty if she gets put back together. And um, is this a lesson in purity? Because, uh, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, I realize this book was published in 1900, and, like, that was probably a standard lesson to keep kids. But still, what the fuck? I hate it! Yeah, okay, yes, I agree. What the actual fuck? I'm super uncomfy. Yeah. I fully agree with you that the implications of that moment is definitely that big yeah. yikes for me also i didn't pick up on that so this is like the opening thing for me i mean normally i do pick mm-hmm. up on stuff like that but i was just like oh yeah this is the weird part where they're just like made of china okay flip 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 you know <laughs> yeah and no, i like read that and it just popped in my brain I was yeah like, what the fuck i no, hate it but you're totally right that is mm-hmm. the subtext of yeah. that moment like, yeah once yeah. you're broken once you're not as pretty later and fuck that yeah yeah Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) I fully agree. I also thought it was interesting that the main, or at least explicit, villain of the story was they were they were both women, and Mm -hmm. both of them were described as wicked witches. Mm -hmm. And Oz, although he is like a big jerk and a fraud, they don't treat him in the same way. Yeah, yeah, they're like, oh, but he's a good man. Yeah, and that felt a little bit off to me because we don't ever get to see the motivations of the witches. Mm-hmm. And Hence it, why Wicked was such a good idea. Exactly, but it does bother me that even though we see more of, like, the shit that the wizard mm-hmm. did, he isn't considered evil. And I mean, yeah. up, all the way up until Harry Potter came out in the 90s, witches were had a negative connotation for, like, a woman who's a bitch or like into the occult or whatever like there was lots of connotations yeah and wizard does not have a negative connotation in the same way yeah it's often positive yeah it's like a magical like mysterious being that's like fun and powerful exactly and and that sort of rubbed me the wrong way this time around i was like what the hell why why is this word still why does it have negative connotations still i mean it definitely did at that time yeah yeah, like it changed would, a little bit. I think Harry, yeah, yeah like you said, Harry Potter yeah. was a big, probably a big uh, difference in that. Yeah, but. but I mean, calling somebody a witch now is like an insult, usually, unless you're talking about somebody who's like 
uh, into the occult and like Wicca and stuff like that. In yeah. which case, it's like perhaps an appropriate term if they, they identify yeah, that way. Like, but in, in in cases where you're like, oh yeah, she's such a witch, like usually it's not a good thing. Uh, yeah, it sort of bothered me this time. I mean, that was the language they had, and that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't like I don't like the idea that if there's a female protagonist, there has to be a female villain. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of action movies we see these days with a female lead. They think in order to be fully feminist or something, they have to also have a female villain. And I'm like, what yeah, man is like, writing this script? Right. <laughs> Why? Why is it only feminism if she defeats another woman? Why can't she defeat the patriarchy? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just another little sneak attack feminist rant for you, right? right. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, then one last thing on this sort of idea really quickly as you mentioned in a previous episode Mm -hmm. the whole there's no place like home propaganda which is trying to teach women to stay in the home and not go out and get jobs and be independent Mm -hmm. is you know you know clearly in the movie with like the whole refrain there's no place like home there's no place like home yeah so it's more explicit in the movie but in the novel we still get the same implication because Dorothy wants to go home so badly and she's yeah. sort of dependent on these male figures to help her complete her journey. Mhm. It like is a little bit different because she's so much younger in the yeah. book than she is in the movie. Yeah. But it yeah, it still very much reads in a similar way and I think they just drove it home with a little bit more in the movie with that theme. Yeah, I think so and it it, it had a lot to do with the times in which both of them came out respectively. Mm-hmm, for yeah. sure, yeah. Uh, any random last thoughts before? <laughs> I mean, I have lots of random thoughts, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Let's uh, get into it. All right, so, I mean, we got to talk about this. I love that the final moral of the story is literally, it's the journey and the friends that mm-hmm. you make along the way that matter. Not so much the final destination, and I don't know, it's just, like, really funny to me for some reason that that is, like, the final moral of this book. It's just Fair, yeah. such it really a is. trope. <laughs> it is very true. Yeah, so I guess we have that trope shot music yeah. going. I don't have hard liquor at my house, so I'm just gonna... I bought vodka because I needed a break from the gin. Yeah, good call. I'm just gonna do a lot of wine all at once. So. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, here we go. Cheers. Okay, so (laughs) another random thought that I had that I think definitely stands up that you will appreciate is that the the quartet and Toto are the literal OG Scooby gang. They are. Like, fight me, it's true. I mean, they uncover... You're wearing a Scooby-Doo shirt! I'm wearing a Scooby-Doo shirt! (laughs) Yes! (laughs) The synchronicity of it all. Yeah, for our (laughs) listeners, I'm wearing a big baseball tee that's got the Scooby gang on it. I need that shirt also. (laughs) It's it's a nice shirt. I like it, yeah. Uh, Okay, yeah. So, I mean, they uncover a big hoax or conspiracy, one might say. And, Mm. I mean, the wizard is literally... he, he, He is just one big conspiracy on by himself he's also a he's sort a, of a cult leader oh he's definitely a cult leader yeah. <laughs> he is and in my notes like he just shows up and starts telling people to do stuff yeah they're like, okay <laughs> they're like okay it, you should all wear glasses now it's like the new thing yeah they, don't question it never take yeah, them it's off. fine um, everything's emerald yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i mean in my notes it just it just says emerald city is a cult three question marks probably 
Maybe, I feel yeah. like, yeah. Uh, anyways. I'm even, like, running through this song in my head. Like, we get up at 12, start to work at 1, take a nap for lunch, and then noon by done. And yeah. Then at noon when we're done, jolly good fun. Yeah. It's, it's how we left a day away in the Marriott Land of Oz. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, like he is not telling them things. He's got this whole mystique going. They think he's mm-hmm. super powerful, but it's not, like, a transparent political situation. I yeah. mean, they didn't vote him into power. He just is in power. They all accept everything that he says. They don't question it. He's fully That's lying true. to them. They're treating him in this uh, godlike type way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. And their dog, too. Exactly. And that's, to me, that's the Scooby part. They We've come Scooby back one. to the Scooby part. So, right. yeah, they, they're uncovering I, I accept this. the yeah. hoax. <laughs> You know, they're just yeah. some meddling kids going along. <laughs> There's a dog okay, there. <laughs> so if we had to assign the Scooby gang to the characters Ooh. in Wizard of Oz, how would we do that? Okay, I was thinking about that, and there I don't think there's enough. Wait, are there... Is it just the... Because Shaggy's definitely Scarecrow. Yeah, Shaggy's the Scarecrow. I think... Yeah, it matches up. I think that the Tin Man is probably Fred. I would say Fred or Velma. Yeah. Because the I two mean, man's kind of the smart one. Yeah, the, the, the lion is Daphne because she got treated poorly. <laughs> oh, yeah, poor Daphne. And, yeah, I, I I would argue, actually, that the scarecrow is Velma, maybe, and Shaggy okay. put together. Toto actually, is fully Scooby. Scarecrow <laughs> is actually the smart one, technically. Yeah, I don't know who Dorothy is. I mean, it's not a direct comparison, but yeah. the parallel is there. <laughs> we could argue about this for a while. The numbers are off, but there's something yeah. to this. I would argue. Um, so after you brought up the Emerald City, I had this memory of, so when I did the musical, I don't know if I mentioned that yet on this podcast. Wait, you were in a musical production of The Wizard of I, Oz? I was in a musical I've production I've never of heard of you say this before in my I life. I played Tree Number 2 and Lullaby League. Oh, yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah, you were in the Lullaby League. I was like, that's the dopest one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember texting my parents and I was like, oh, I'm Lullaby League and tree number two and they're like what we figured with lullaby league i was like but i'm tree number two honestly tree number two is one of those classic roles that when you say that people laugh because they're like that's a legitimate role and like i did have like i think one of the best lines in the show so um oh wait please 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 do it oh so it was the bit where we're there uh like throwing the apples Mm -hmm. and uh i went base lander and threw an (laughs) apple right at scarecrow oh you know what Greg also played a tree in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. <gasps> Am I Greg Heffley? Oh, you might be Greg Heffley. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel like a cult leader? <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel like you're stuck in purgatory? <laughs> uh, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. After this lockdown, yeah. <laughs> there are so many um, connections right now. <laughs> right. Anyways, so Emerald City. So I had like the best costume for mm-hmm. the Emerald City. It was amazing. And then um, he was like giving like. Uh, our costume designer was handing out sunglasses and like accessories for our first dress rehearsal and like I was kind of distracted and busy doing something and so he was like came up to me and was like Allison I really want you to wear these glasses and I was like oh does no one else want to wear them like that was a really weird way to say that he was like no I think everyone wants to wear these and I was like busy doing something so I was like yeah sure I'll wear them like put them on my station didn't think about it later on I put on my amazing Emerald City costume I'm loving my life and then I put on the glasses and realized they are weed glasses like weed sunglasses from 420 and I was like 
uh, what? Oh my god, I can't believe I'm wearing these on stage. I got many weird looks from audience members being like, is that girl wearing weed glasses? And I'm like, yes, absolutely, I am. I am. <laughs> and like having noticing. to keep a straight face when the kids in the show, because we had a few kids in our mm-hmm. show, um, be like, oh, Allison, I really like the glasses you wear in Emerald City. I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks, kids. <laughs> Here's a brownie. <laughs> Anyway, I just thought of that, and I was like, I should have stolen those glasses. I did not, I and mean, I'm that's, mad I that's didn't. That's kind of iconic, so... Right? <laughs> I have a we photo, need to get you and, some. <laughs> uh, like, I posted a photo on Instagram, and then uh, the caption was like, that's how we or that's how we laughed the day away, because I was like, oh, that's how they laughed the day away. That is. They're all high on weed in Emerald City, so... Yeah, it sort of checks out. They're all... Right? I mean, yeah, it's it's a cult thing, you know, drugging your members, yeah. keeping them docile, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. weed is green, so... Absolutely. There you go. Weed is green. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to get back in. <laughs> I was also surprised this time reading it that the book ends as if the whole adventure was real because mm-hmm. the movie ends with the biggest freaking trope in the entire world. Oh, the trope yeah. that started tropes. And it was all just a dream. <laughs> What'd you do with beer? Okay. <laughs> so, I mean... It's it's just, I was interested by the fact that they decided it was a dream in the movie. They, they decided on a definitive interpretation of the mm-hmm. ending of the book because the book is very ambiguous. She just goes yeah. home. Yeah, she could have just, like, kind of gotten whisked away to a forest, been out for a few days, and then, like, walked home. Yeah. But, like, yeah, because she doesn't have the slippers, and it just says she dropped the slippers dropped and she crossed the desert on her transport home so it could yeah it's very ambiguous yeah but like so interesting that the movie was like nah nah we're gonna decide for the audience um but it was a dream yeah but the the book is like and she's home. The end. Like it's yeah, literally like, right? the last sentence. It's like Dorothy's I home was, goodbye. Yeah, laughing at how quickly it's like page two. The twister starts. Yeah, like literally the last paragraph. She's home. Yeah, it's well. I mean, it's just like Narnia. Like so many kids' books yeah. are just so abrupt. Like you, I think, you hit the brakes and you get out of the car. <laughs> it's. I over. think it's a, an attention thing. Like yeah. once she's home, like Nobody everyone's cares. like, okay, she made it home. It wasn't yeah. a dream. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but I was gonna say the musical's fun because. Uh, I don't believe in the script it specifically says whether it was a dream or not. So, like, it can be up to interpretation. So, depending on the production of The Wizard of Oz you see, you might see a version. Like, I've seen versions where they're like, oh, it wasn't a dream. Like, Mm -hmm. she opens her closet at the end and the ruby slippers are in there. I like that, yeah. Yeah, and I think our version, like, she was still wearing the ruby slippers more out of, like, just the way we staged the her transportation home. We yeah. didn't have time to, like, take them off. Throw the shoes so backstage. Like, we're like, you know what? I guess it wasn't a dream. You just have ruby slippers now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of fun about the musicals. That could be up to interpretation. But the movie, yeah, is very much like, no, it was a dream. She, like, made up these characters in her brain based off people in her life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, I mean, I think... One of the interesting things about the movie, and this sort of harkens back to the whole, like, drugs debacle, is it's all presented as sort of a bad trip for Dorothy. Because, I mean, she's in black and white. She 
has this crazy experience. Then she gets whisked off to this like technicolor land of weird textures and animals and trees are talking to her. Mm-hmm. It's very much like a shrooms type trip. And then, yeah. you know, she, she comes down from it and she gets home and she's just like in bed and they're like, Dorothy, you're back. I mean, <laughs> it, yeah, it did feel a bit like that as well. Which also, again, I would not mm-hmm. have picked up on as a child. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Hmm, yeah, Dorothy went on a real weird trip. Mm-hmm. Basically, is the premise of this. Yeah. And, and I mean, a bit more on the color versus black and white. I also thought it was really interesting that at the beginning of the novel, which is mm-hmm. set in Kansas, um, Baum describes the scenery as very gray like explicitly multiple times he uses Mm -hmm. the word gray and like that everything is like washed out it was the setting he was describing so i thought it was really cool that obviously when the script writers read the book to make it into a movie they were like oh yeah black and white for the beginning color yeah for later on and it totally makes sense but i mean at the time when he was writing the book film was still black and white and it was very new Mm-hmm. Like, colored film didn't really appear, I think, until, like, the late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. So I did a very quick uh, research mm-hmm. thing on this because, like, I heard somewhere was Ravaz was the first color film or film in color, but I knew it wasn't. So it wasn't the first film in color, but it was the first film to have both. Yes. And it was yeah. the first time that they used color as, like, to create a sort of fantasy world. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it made the sense of fantasy and that's why it did so well despite coming out in the great depression was it created this like magical world for people to go see like with the bright colors especially with the contrast to the beginning so i yeah. thought that was super interesting when i know it, it is so interesting and that's not something i would have necessarily had so much appreciation for but um a few months ago i was doing this uh research uh job for mm-hmm. a professor who is writing is writing a book on uh, like Soviet film in the early 1900s, <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of interesting information that I was reading about the use of uh, color in film and what it was coming out and how they were using it and stuff like that. Yeah. So I feel like I have a little bit more knowledge in this area now, and it's kind of exciting. I mean, it's mainly. To do with, like, the Soviet Union in that era. But I was like, oh, cool, I know about this now. So (laughs) I learned something. (laughs) I like that. I'm glad you learned something. (laughs) I did. So I was like, ah, yes, the colored films. Lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I watched the film today, actually. Uh, I finished the book yesterday. I watched the film today. And, like, that reveal when she walks into the Munchkin Land is so good. So iconic. Yeah. I mean, I remember... Like, I was doing something, I had to put everything down, because I knew it was coming. I was yes. like, here we go. <laughs> and and it's so incredible. Like, it's it's just such a good reveal, because the way that they did the set, it's so fantastical. Like, it's not just that it's in color, it's that everything yeah. has so an iconic bright. color. It's so variant, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I did think it was interesting that in the book, the, the slippers are silver. In the movie, they made them red, mm-hmm. I guess, to make them pop. Yeah, that was exactly it. Was yeah. uh, So the movie, there's this whole, uh, if you watch any kind of special, it took them years and years and years to film it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were like so many issues that kept coming up with um, across like the original Tin Man uh, got really sick from the paint they were using because yeah. um, they like completely painted him, things like that. The directors kept changing. And so eventually the slippers were changed from silver to ruby so that they would pop more. That was exactly it. Yeah. And I think so it, especially... Like, 
in contrast to the Emerald City, the red mm-hmm. has the the sort of opposite of the color wheel type situation going. Exactly. For it. Yeah, they just like stood out that much more. And like yeah. when you watch her in the movie, like those slippers just pop out at you. Exactly. That's why I'm obsessed with. And them. I mean, it also complements the red of her hair and is a contrast to the blue of her dress, which is yeah very iconic. But one thing I did think interesting is that the road is still yellow in the book. So mm-hmm. he had some imagination in describing Kansas as gray and Oz as colorful. Yeah. And then the Emerald City he described as being green. So he had a very colorful imagination himself when writing yeah. the book that was almost like, I mean, <laughs> colors have existed since eyeballs, but like the fact that he, <laughs> he was sort of describing it in a very cinematic way, which was ahead of its time because uh like color film hadn't come out when he wrote it but he wrote yeah. it in, in in a very cinematic cinema cinema cinematographic way there you go <laughs> that Got word, it. you know <laughs> yeah. yeah i just thought it was interesting that he did have that attention to detail and color like it was a yellow brick road it was the mm-hmm. emerald city like the only color that the movie actually changed was the slippers well yeah, actually so were the witches green in the book oh i don't think they um, were it, I remember green. noticing this. It references a girl in the Emerald City. They keep calling her the green girl, yeah. but it doesn't specifically reference if the witch is green. I think that was a movieism as well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, just to like really contrast the Wicked Witch with Mythskulch and with Glinda. Yeah, and but- I think I think the green girl was like inspired from the green girl in the Emerald City, and they just translated that to the witch for sure. But then it is interesting that. The witch is green, which, again, has, like, the the sort of negative, evil, jealous mm-hmm. connotations on the witch. But then in the city of emeralds, it's a good yeah. color. So that's right? sort of weird, too. <laughs> I mean... It's so interesting, yeah. We can read into colors a lot in this, I think, oh. which, which is so cool. I mean, it's, it's, right? it's a brilliant film for all of these reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I still haven't watched it with, like, the dark side of the moon because you know how people – some people say it's oh, a thing and some people say today. it's not. I guess I know what I'm doing tonight. I mean, yeah. Like, Watching a lot of people say, no, it's not a thing. But I feel like it's a thing. <laughs> Maybe I'll I, try I, that. I'm going to give it a try. That's for sure at some yeah. point in my life. Um, I, I think I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah, I do want to mention with the ruby slippers. So it's been my lifelong dream to have a pair of ruby slippers. Hence, I mentioned being in this video, my grandmother, like, hand-sewed – red sequins onto ballet shoes Amazing. when I was little. And uh, so when I did the musical, I don't know if I mentioned <laughs> this. Um, so I understudied Dorothy, which if you don't know what that means, it means uh, basically if the girl who had played Dorothy got sick, couldn't do the show or whatever, I would have gone on and played Dorothy. So I, um, and so I have tiny, tiny feet. I'm like a size five and a half or six. Mm-hmm. The girl who played Dorothy is a normal sized human being. So she had like what, size eight feet. So, and they're, like, full-on heels. So, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to spend a two-and-a-half-hour musical no. <laughs> in heels are two sizes too big. And uh, they, like, tried to talk me into it. I remember, like, my rehearsal, they were like, you could just stuff the shoes, right? And I was like, absolutely not. They're like, do you like, want the understudy on. to break her ankle and then have no right? <laughs> And then have no Dorothy? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, um, I was kind of like, I, I would really appreciate if I got my own ruby slippers. I never heard back. I never ended up going on. I learned the whole role and everything. Um, and then I found out on closing night that they had ordered me a pair of ruby slippers in my size and I never got to even try them on. And I'm so upset that I never saw them. I never tried them on. Like I would have just, even one day, just like do, like 
run around the theater in my ruby slippers would have been just a dream come true for me. Yeah, of course. And I, but probably a good thing they didn't because I would have stolen them. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I so like Wizard of Oz, if you can't tell, still remains a fifteen out of ten for me as a whole. Like I recognize there are some outdated issues with it, but at this point, like um, the nostalgia factor of Mm -hmm. it for me is so strong. If again, if you cannot tell (laughs) the way I speak about this, yeah, I. Like, I watched the movie today and was, like, crying through half of it. Um, The book remains at an 8 out of 10 for me. Um, Like, it definitely sparked some interesting thoughts, and I thought it was a really enjoyable read. Mm -hmm. And, like, it holds up well. Like, overall, I think The Wizard of Oz holds up and, like, is still something, like, we don't have to feel bad about watching. There's nothing, like, super problematic with it. Um, Yeah, but I still like the movie better. It feels wrong to say the movie is better than the book. But it's yeah. two plus one, which we have already discussed and decided. Yeah. Now, I, th- I think we are absolutely on the same page here. The mm-hmm. movie is just such a timeless classic. It's so iconic. But yeah. the book, I mean, it just isn't quite as compelling. I would probably still rate it an 8 out of 10. Again, for like the, the nostalgia. And because I do really like a lot of the commentaries that the author is making. Right, um, yeah. And I did enjoy... Uh, that I definitely like got a lot out of this read, especially things that I would not have picked up up on previously. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, the movie is just so iconic, and like the changes that the movie made to the plot, I think were for the better. So I do have to recognize that like it's not perfect, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But but the movie is a bit more clear and linear. They jump around mm-hmm. a lot more in the book, sort of unnecessarily. But yeah. I would absolutely recommend it to like a kid the age I was that I read it I don't yeah like you said I don't think there's anything really really harmful in it it's a lot less problematic than a lot of books that we've read already yeah um, and it's a lot less damaging than a lot of popular fairy tales that are sort of on the oh, same caliber sure, yeah so I would absolutely hand a kid like the wizard of Oz over sleeping beauty or something like that yeah um, yeah it is nice like as much as we talked about like the female villains like kind of that weird uh representation like it is nice to read a book about a young girl who kind of like is in charge especially in the movie like she's really in charge of that group yeah and is the one like leading yeah she's leading these like grown men around yeah yeah especially in the movie because they're all like middle-aged men but it it was interesting that she was fully in charge it was very (laughs) refreshing it's very yeah it's nice yeah yeah, difference from a lot of media we get from that time yeah she was definitely leading the plot she wasn't just there like the sort of lucy yeah. type character well <laughs> overall i really enjoyed this one i had a great time yeah i don't know too. about you guys but <laughs> yeah read it watch it watch it and read it yeah we recommend this one this is a good one to yeah, revisit. this is a good one <laughs> okay so next week we'll be reading a series of unfortunate events by lemony snicket so stay tuned for that see you then This has been Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Books Before Liquor and Twitter at BooksBLPodcast. And check us out on our website at BooksBeforeLiquorNeverBeenSicker.ca or email us at BooksBeforeLiquor at gmail.com to scream at us about great books or send us recommendations or whatever. We love to hear from you. And you can also support us by visiting Patreon.com slash BooksBeforeLiquorNeverBeenSicker. And now, go drink a big glass of water.